different vibe on the program this evening. You know, usually, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think of myself as tyrannical in the way that I control the uh, the content on this program, but I'm definitely well aware. I'm well aware of the topics that I'm aiming towards, that I'm going to discuss, and generally what I'm going to say about them. Tonight is just a big mystery. Tonight, <laughs> I, I have a, a general sense of what might be coming, but uh, I, I'm largely turning it over to my co-host, Jamar Nelson, in studio with us tonight. As we turn from your usual closing argument to special municipal election night coverage here on Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com, and your iHeartRadio app. Two ways to stream us. Closing argument is usually here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you tuning in. You can catch up on our podcasts. You know, those of you who are tuning in for, you know, from Minneapolis who aren't typical listeners and you're just trying to get some of that that uh, election coverage and hear from your candidates this evening. Uh, in, in case you're curious, if you're conserva-curious, you can tune in 9 to 11 weeknights <laughs> <laughs> and listen to what like it is uh, we talk about here on the program. 651-989-5855 is the number to join us this evening. Brad Ullman producing the show, taking your calls. Yeah, We will take your calls as they come uh, to the best of our ability, but we're going to have to give uh, primary consideration to our vast array of guests that we're expecting this evening. Right now, taking a look at the Secretary of State website, which until about five minutes ago, I had no idea that they tracked municipal elections on the Secretary of State's website, but they do, and they, they do a good job of it. And uh, it looks as though of the of the five major contenders, which is to say, you know, people who have gotten more than, we'll say, 2% of the vote, you know, the in the first choice for mayor, which is what I'm looking at here, uh, at the top of the page of the Secretary of State, the lowest major vote getter uh, is getting 14.79% as of this particular moment. And the the next person down is 1.17. So it's a pretty wide gap between the five people who are actually in the race, no so doubt. to speak, yeah. versus everybody else. And of those five, three are scheduled to be on our air tonight. And it's a major surprise, too, when I'm looking at these elections. Uh, uh, the results are the way they're coming in right now. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm overjoyed and a little bit surprised because, the, uh, from what I understand, the voter turnout in North Minneapolis was lower than expected. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden this, what, there was this surge. Right. So they're saying now that, according to right now, uh, that... Uh, the Minneapolis North turnout might be higher than that of uh, 2014, 2013. Uh, they're saying that in some of the uh, election poll places, they had to order more ballots. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and, and as of Wednesday, 12,000 uh, absentee ballots have been mailed in already. Wow. Yeah, so uh, I think people are turning up. Lots of interest. Yeah, there's a story here on the Star Tribune. It was obviously authored earlier in the evening. um, About an hour ago, it was posted here talking about turnout. And they cite that election officials had to order more ballots, as you just stated, after more than 20 precincts began running low because of higher-than-expected turnout, according to the Minneapolis City Clerk. 
even before the polls closed, voter turnout had already passed 40%, up from 33% four years ago, Carl said. So, you know, as somebody who lives in Minneapolis, is is there a reason why there's so much more interest in this race than there have been in previous ones? Absolutely. I think people are, they want to, they want the voices to be heard. I think a lot of people are concerned with the eroding relationship that the community had with the Mayor Hodges and the mm-hmm. police chief and the police department as a whole. And I think that they want to make their voices heard and they know that this is the way to do it. Uh, the city council, the whole, I didn't realize that the whole entire city council, uh, all those incumbents were up for re-election, and I didn't, didn't realize yeah. that. So a lot of them looks like they're coming in. A lot of the incumbents are holding. Uh, but I think a lot of people, especially in North Minneapolis and South Minneapolis, a lot of minorities wanted to make their voice heard. Yeah, I mean, as I scroll down the list here of the Secretary of State's website regarding um, election returns in Minneapolis for city council and mayor, uh, a lot of these these council, well, certainly the, the boards uh, and what have you, there's not a lot of competition for for those races. There's some, but it's not as as uh, vibrant and uh, multifaceted as the mayor's race. No, um, but certainly there are some wards that stand out more so than others. You know, the one that caught my eye mostly because of one of the guests we're going to have this evening was, of course, the ninth ward, um, which is uh, the the represented by uh, Alana. I don't think I've ever actually pronounced her name. Alondra Cano. Alondra Cano. Or, or excuse me. It depends on, you know, she, I'm going to be nice tonight. Cano. Okay. <laughs> what? what oh, hold on, hold on. So, I'm going to be nice. So there's a, what's the, what's the story behind the not nice? Well, <laughs> you know, uh, she and I don't get along too well. Okay. I okay. Gotcha. And so uh, I'm, I hope that she loses. And you, and you want to make sure that your, your address doesn't get tweeted out. Yeah, Okay. No doubt about it. I appreciate that. No doubt. So, yeah, so uh, her ward, the ninth, which it looks like, at least in the the first choice category, she's doing pretty well so far. Uh, I I had that up. It's not in front of me at the moment. Um, But, you know, we're going to have one of her opponents on on the program here sometime this hour, I believe. And it'll be interesting to talk to him about the, the politics of that race in particular. For sure. Because race has has played. Race is all over these races. Yep. Yep. Unfortunately, no doubt. Uh, in, unfortunately, in my view, maybe fortunately in yours, I don't know. But in that one in particular, it seems to be particularly vivid, just because the the guy who's challenging her, one of the guys who's challenging her, is a white guy. Yeah, which apparently sure. you just don't get to be a white gay male. Oh well, there you go. See, yes. I didn't know that. Part, yes. Right? Yeah. Well, but, he came out. Well, he didn't come out, but he he made me aware of it uh, uh, Saturday when he was on the show. Okay, so. In other words, so there's this like intersexual minority formula somewhere that's that's kept in a, in a vault that you have to pass or fail based upon how many points you score <laughs> on your intersexual minority status. And he, because he's white, he gets like negative twelve or something, mm-hmm. and uh, he he no longer qualifies. So that it's it's produced some interesting politics there in the ninth ward. Now, I I, I don't want to I don't want to give up who you may or may not have been supporting. I'm going to leave that choice to you there, Jamar. But uh, who are you most interested in tonight to take, to observe, to look at? Which races are you following most closely? And and give us some of the background on on why it interests you. Well, uh, per my, my job, I got I, I can't publicly say who I was endorsing because okay. the, the my job, we endorsed another candidate. So, um, uh 
I don't know how to go about it. Okay, <laughs> right, right, right. But uh, I mean, you could talk in general terms. What are you? Let's put it this way: instead of it being you and your opinion, because that's apparently a place we can't go. What are you observing in the community as as the core issues that are driving these candidacies? And and what are some of the ways in which different candidates have di- differentiated themselves in how they're approaching those issues? No doubt about it has been jobs, education, housing, race, mm-hmm. uh, policing, things of that nature. Um, the two, the three candidates that I was most interested in um, kind of did not differentiate themselves from each other because they kind of were all in the same bag of trying to reform the police department, trying saying that the relationship between the police department and the mayor and the community, mm-hmm. um, th- that erosion started with a bad mayor, um, and I agree. Um, and, and they were referring to the incumbent. Right? They were referring to the incumbent. Right. And, and here's the bad part. Um, she's not a bad person. She really isn't. But I think she's way too passive-aggressive. And um, we don't need another R.T. Ryback. Now, don't get me wrong. I voted for him. But we don't need another R.T. Ryback. We had him for 12 years, and there's not. I don't think that there's a single thing that he can point to that he did for the minority community. He can point to these pretty things that he put around the city. Right. But when you talk about bringing jobs and housing into the community of, uh, of color, Ryback can't say that. So 12 years we had this guy around, and then she comes in, and then she's just way too passive-aggressive on issues. Uh, um. We found it so convenient that she fired the police chief when Miss Demond, Miss Demond, Demond, yeah, got Damon, killed. Yeah, right when there were other uh, uh, bad shootings that you could have fired the the police. It seemed like from the perspective of a certain activist, sort too little, too late. Too little, way too little, too late. Right. But she says no. That she had lost confidence in the 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 police chief a year or so ago. Well, then why didn't you fire? Right. You know. Well, and apparently the answer to that question, because I made that same observation, because she, you know, when, when she did that and the the rhetoric that she engaged in after the fact, trying to make it sound like you know she had she'd made some sort of major move on on this part. It it struck me as she was trying to cover for herself. She was trying to scapegoat Harto and have her take all the blame and and kind of act as the lightning rod to take the attention off of herself. But it was brought to my attention from a source in the mayor's office <laughs> that uh, she doesn't have the ability to to do certain things without the support of the council. Oh, absolutely. And that, and that she didn't have the ability earlier, a year before, to move forward with this, which I... I they know better than I do. I, I don't know how the structure of Minneapolis city government works, but can, do, do you know, can the mayor unilaterally decide? Your source to- is telling the truth. She absolutely would have had to, and she did eventually get the okay of the city council to fire because of, of the contract of the chief. She can't just fire the chief on her own. She does right. have to get council approval. And I will uh, attest to the fact that, yes, she did want to, well, she had, there was rumor of removal of the chief, um, but she did say at that point, too, that her hands were tied because the council, now, I know Barb Johnson will probably deny this, but some of my sources is pretty close to Barb as well, who's uh, president of the Minneapolis City Council, and actually passes the last word. Um, per my sources, Barb didn't want to lose Harto. She thought that that was bad for business, and so she didn't. She uh, told the rest of the council that no, she was not ready for Harto to go. Right. Yeah. So that's total politics in Minneapolis. Well, you know. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I find interesting, and, and maybe I should speak to this because you know this is 
a conservative talk radio station uh, by and large. And, you know, we have your show, Black Republican, Black Democrat, on on Saturdays, uh, 6 p.m., which uh, we, we enjoy immensely having Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and you've been a longtime caller into to our various programs over the years and appreciate that as well. What is the value proposition for our our regular listeners to tune in tonight and, you know, listen to a lefty? Come in here and co-host with me and have a bunch of lefty candidates call in and, and talk to us about their lefty ways in Minneapolis. I, I For me, the value proposition is, first of all, just recognizing the opposition right. as human beings. For sure. And, and, and as part of a human community that has divergent opinions. Like, you guys have genuine disagreements yeah, sure. regarding wh- what a progressive Minneapolis means yes, and sure. what it looks like and what, what needs to be done and how to balance kind of the practical necessity to attract business and retain business and have a business-friendly community with all these activist desires for, you know, $15 minimum wage and sick leave or whatever the case may be, the racial interests um that that are very prominent in these these various contests how do you balance all that and some candidates are are taking a more it's interesting to me because one of the things as i was doing research for tonight one of the things that kept coming up was this notion of the quote establishment which i found provocative in the in the sense of in the context of a municipal race even for a city as big as minneapolis what is the minneapolis establishment like what does that look like who are they? What what are you what does that mean to be the establishment in Minneapolis? <laughs> and and what's what is the other side of that spectrum? Like what what are the how are the hardcore activists pushing for dramatic change different than because they all call themselves progressive. Like right, through, yeah. there is no conservative in this race as far as I know, although there, well, have, there, been, is. there, there have been accusations yeah, of that and we'll get into that. Yeah. Um but these are all things that we're gonna explore as we move forward with our guest tonight and with my co host Jamar Nelson in studio. Closing argument with special election night coverage this Tuesday, Twin Cities News Talk, AM eleven thirty, one oh three five FM, Twin Cities News Talk dot com. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, special election night coverage this Tuesday evening as Minneapolis chooses its leadership for the next few years. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app, two ways to stream us, 651-989-5855 for comments, reports, questions, anything you may have related to the elections taking place tonight. Uh, we are looking forward to speaking with Gary Schiff, possibly, this segment. He is a candidate uh, running for city council in Minneapolis's ninth ward. That is the ward that is represented until tonight by Alondro Cano, um, who, of course, you, you know for a variety of reasons. I mean, we could, we could you know, dip our hand into the hat and pull yeah. out a piece of paper with you know, a random thing that's caused a, a, a stir, a headline over the past couple of years. And uh, it's it's been entertaining. Watching yes. Her oh office. my gosh, she is entertaining. That's a great way of putting it. Yes. <laughs> entertaining, you know, borderline uh, other things. But, yes. Yeah. Uh, it the the first question I would ask Gary if we had him on right now is what's going on with your race, man? Because I'm looking at these results at the Secretary of State's website, and they've got it broken down because they have ranked choice voting in Minneapolis. Right. Yep. 
And the way ranked choice voting works, it depends on the city. In Minneapolis, you get to choose up to three candidates. Right. You got your first choice, your second choice, your third choice. And looking at the results, I can see who's winning first choice, who's winning second choice, who's winning third choice in the the ninth ward. But I don't know how to put that all together into some sort of analysis of who's actually winning. Well, again, I know this is why I don't particularly care for ranked choice voting. But I think Minneapolis, just, I think they decided to make it harder like that because of uh, the the previous race last uh, four years ago when there was so many candidates. That's why they raised the price of uh, right. To, to, it's like five hundred. It's five hundred bucks versus twenty bucks, like it was last year. Yeah, uh, four years ago. Excuse me. Uh, but it looks like uh, Alondra's doing great. Yeah. Um, she's killing on all three of the ballots right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that what it looks like is. She's going to remain the incumbent. Uh, it's early, but the well, I don't know. Close. I mean, in in what I'm looking at, second choice and third choice, she's uh, not first or second. Well, I'm looking at I'm looking at first choice. Okay, I got yeah. her first. Then this uh, Ronald person mm-hmm. on the second choice. I've got her and the Ronald person, and on the first choice, I got her. So I've got her up on all and all three. I'm see. I don't know. Maybe we're looking at different things here. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. And see, that's the Action. problem with this ranked choice stuff. So second choice, I see the Muhammad Farah is number one for second choice, and right with forty three percent. Yeah, that's yeah. actually pretty strong. Yeah. because like this is unscientific. I don't know if like it works this way, but like if you add up their percentages, uh-huh. like F- Muhammad Farah has a hundred and two percent, whereas Cano only has like ninety point six, and Schiff has eighty seven. If you just add up like the percentages, like kind of like points, yeah. So, so that's kind of like an indicator. It's not scientific, like you said, yeah. but it's an indicator yeah. of how they might fare for sure. And and not to mention that's why they do the ranked choice voting because if Alonzo doesn't garner enough first choice votes, uh-huh. and he does, he could he could win. So how many? Uh, what does she she does she have to get a majority of the first choice yes. to win? Yes. So yes. if she doesn't get. Fifty plus one, then then they'll start counting more. The I, I'm sorry, I can't think of the word that they're calling this. Some pretty word they're calling it, but they, yes, they'll count the rest of the ballots uh-huh. to see how she does on the second and third choice ballots. Uh-huh. But if she starts to fall off, and Muhammad or Ronald, someone else has Gary has more second or third force second or third choice votes, right? He can then uh, take the first place and become city council person interesting yes it's yeah it's i, I think they seriously need to do away with ranked choice but they they think that it's a way to give people a choice to vote for more than one candidate right and uh to make it a bit more harder which it does no, no doubt about it. it makes it a bit more harder well i mean the it the other talking point on ranked choice voting that i've heard is that supposedly it facilitates friendlier contests because people aren't it's not as cutthroat because you can actually be like well i know you're bought into whoever but make me your second choice. and that was the push i mean that was the they, that was the exact push a lot of the candidates were using they started right. especially then within the last waning weeks they would go around you hear them say well look i know your first choice might be walter but right. make me your second choice right right. make right. me your third choice sure. and so i thought about that you know that's a smart pitch because you know some people if you got those lawn signs so they're for the fries and the chemo or our flowers. Right. So you're not going to peel them from that first choice. Right. But if I get enough second choices, yeah. I can beat your guy. Right. So it was kind of um, smart to go around asking for people to be your second choice because second choice may get more than your first choice. Sure. So, I mean, the, 
in your observation of how that's played out in terms of the the character of the campaigns, do you feel because on its face it occurs to me that while that may result in less cutthroat politics, which I don't know that it actually has, but to the extent that it might, it, it also kind of invites a lack of uh, discernment or a lack of distinguishing yourself from other candidates. Because if you're trying to get, if you're trying to get, in other words, in your example, if you're trying to get the second vote from people who are voting for Walter, then you're going to try to be more like Walter, right? Well, no, actually, I, again, and that, that's what. So I'm not going to guess. I'm going to contradict myself a little bit because, again, I think that if you if you're smart enough, tr- strategically, you know that if I get enough second choice voters. I can be mayor. Right. So I think um, that's why, like I said, and let me just use, for example, um, Al Fry. Uh, excuse me, Al Fry. Look, I'm missing the candidates, mixing <laughs> them together. Al Flowers, again, right. in the last laning, waning week, started asking to be some of the Fry and the Kemas second choice. In fact, there were a lot of memos that the candidates started sending out. If you looked, a lot of the candidates started joining forces. Okay, well, I'm backing Betsy or I'm backing this person. And so I've looked give them the side eye but then i started looking like okay well this person they think that they're more aligned with so those they got a better chance of getting those votes a lot of people are linking the ray dean folks with the uh mayor hodges people hmm. yeah for some reason so i haven't heard him publicly come out i don't know i think a lot of the candidates came out today between yesterday and today and endorsing different uh candidates but i heard a lot of people mixing their two people together Interesting. Yeah. We're speaking of Raymond Dean. He's who we're expecting to talk to yep. after the break. Yep. We will return shortly. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Jamar Nelson in studio with us tonight for special election night coverage, talking about the Minneapolis municipal races for mayor and city council. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. Live and local coverage of election night. We're covering the municipal elections in Minneapolis for mayor and city council. Closing argument is the normal name of the show. Special coverage tonight. Got Jamar Nelson in studio co-hosting with us. Appreciate you being here, Jamar. Oh, thanks for having me. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. TwinCitiesNewsTalk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. You can also stream us on your iHeartRadio app. 651-989-5855 is the number to join us this evening. On the phone, we have one of the candidates for mayor of Minneapolis, Raymond Dean, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, glad to be here. I uh, really appreciate you taking time out of an obviously busy night to join us. Can okay. you help us try to make sense of these election results we're looking at on the Secretary of State webpage? Because, you know, it's I like the nice, easy ones where it's just one <laughs> choice and you can tell by the percentages immediately what's going on. I, I don't know how to interpret the the first choice, second choice, third choice. How are you feeling right now? Well, you know, we we felt pretty pretty good. Uh, we also know that there's a, a significant gap between the person who's in first and then those of us that are uh, collected around second, third, and fourth mm-hmm. and fifth. Uh, you know, as as we start looking at second choice votes, uh, there will be some shifting, and ultimately that shifting is likely to determine who the next mayor is. Uh, you know, when, when I think of ranked choice voting, I always think about the the number of votes between each each of the candidates, because that will sort of have an indication on how much movement those candidates might be able to uh, produce as second choice votes get counted. So, 
So you're looking at one candidate, how many first-choice votes they got, and then you're looking at that same candidate, how many second-choice votes they got. You don't know who those second-choice votes belong to. Sure. Yeah. It's hard to you know just add things up and stuff like that. So um, it's so, a little bit of an indication, but at the same time, uh, you know their closeness, uh, you know, makes an indication of that there could be some movement moving forward as more ballots are counted. So you mean we're in for a long night, is what you're saying, Ray? Yeah, it might be in for a, a long night. It might be in for uh, most of tomorrow. So look, uh, uh, a couple of things real quick. Uh, Number one is, that's why you, you kind of echo what I'm saying. So tonight we obviously probably will not get the the election results that we want. So into tomorrow and maybe into the next day. Um, if you don't, if your campaign doesn't get uh, the results that we're looking for, will you contest it? And will you support whomever the um, the mayor ultimately uh, uh, is? Well, it's really too hard to make any of those, <laughs> you know, sort, sort of judgments. I mean, we... we Again, we don't know what the numbers are going to look like as we get towards the end. Uh, you know, if it becomes clear that, uh, you know, we're not the candidate, uh, I, you know, we will definitely look at the numbers, see what they say. Uh, if we believe that there may have been something that happened differently, well, you know, we, we might question it, but, you know, it's really, really too hard to tell and, you know, it'd be purely speculation at this point in time. As I was uh, d- doing some research on your campaign leading into uh, the, our coverage tonight, one of the things that stood out to me was your unique backstory. It, it seems that like one of the things that is uh, of, of foremost concern to you is criminal justice reform and uh, the racial equity piece in Minneapolis, which, of course, is always a hot-button issue uh, in that town. But you're coming at it from a very unique perspective of having this this story where at one point, you you were a former felon, and now you have served as a state legislator, and you're running a serious campaign for mayor of Minneapolis, and that puts you in a position. You know, some people might take a look at that and say, "Oh, you know, that's a negative," but you've turned it into a positive in terms of saying, "Look, we need to take a look at how to how to have this story be the normal story of actually reintegrating people into productive society." How has that past informed this campaign? You know, I, I think it's informed with a lot. Uh, you know, in the end, uh, you know, one of the reasons I got involved in electoral politics is is I was a beneficiary from a system uh, that oftentimes many other individuals don't have the opportunities to have those same types of benefits. And, and you know, I mean, it, it might be something that some folks struggle with, but, you know, between the ages of 15 and 25, a lot of people do a lot of things uh, that, you know, some of us get caught and some don't. And, and we know that once you get over 25 years old, your brain begins to get wired a little bit differently. Your judgment begins to change uh, and you don't do some of the things you did. I mean, uh, my, my offense happened, you know, before I turned 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I truly believe that because I'm white, the system that I participated in gave me huge advantages. For sure. And uh, I think we need to change that system so that everybody has the same advantage. I, I think I think we're leaving a lot of people out right. uh, that could be huge contributors to our society and to our communities. So so what are we doing to uh, take those individuals and, and, and realize that, 
you know, not everybody is the worst thing that they've done at any one time. And making sure that, you know, people have real second chances so that uh, they can lead the life that I think all of us want to lead, a good, productive life, you know, raising families, you know, uh, providing for your family and, and being an active member and making community a, a wonderful and a safe place. So do you see that, that concern as related to the, the piece on policing where it comes to you've suggested that the police in certain circumstances could patrol without being armed? Uh, and, and I don't know if that if your intent there was just firearms or also you know any, any sort of less lethal uh, armament that they might carry. The, do you see those two things as related that by being unarmed there there's going to be a, kind of an automatic increase in racial equity or is it not connected in that way no i i, I don't think that those are automatic and if that is automatic and you know i mean just just to be clear i didn't say they couldn't patrol uh with their sidearms i, I think there are some situations where they don't necessarily have to have their sidearm on them mm-hmm. uh, whether they're in a school you know meeting with kids whether it's you know going around and talking to all that national light out and other situations. And, and I, I've made it real clear that this is a conversation. There's a much, much broader conversation beyond just City Hall, beyond, you know, just the residents of the city. It also has to include, you know, police officers. Uh, you know, I, I, I think we're at a point where we can begin to think differently about how we make our community safer. And that should be the goal of what everyone is approaching. And, and if we're not doing that, then I, I think we should... Uh, be doing things in a different way, but but I but I don't think there's that you know direct correlation between addressing all of the issues of equity uh, in officers carrying guns. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer that you know uh, you know the causes of the crime are really really critical, and nothing has to do with scarcity, and we should be addressing those issues of scarcity out in our community. Ray, a uh, couple of questions for you real quick here. Number one. Yeah, I've only got a few more minutes. I'll give you real quick here. How have you guys been polling today, and what did you do to differentiate yourself from the most of the other candidates? You know, we, you know we're, we're not the big money campaign, so we haven't been doing any polling. Okay. We've been, you know, calling, talking to voters. We've been knocking on doors. We've, we've spent time on campus. Uh, and, you know, I mean, We've been trying to reach voters that typically in the past don't vote. Right. Uh, believing that, you know, it's important that we engage individuals uh, to participate in our uh, civic process. Right. And I'm, I'm sure other campaigns are doing that as well. Uh, you know, I mean, campaigns do what they think that is going to help them win with the resources that they have. Well, um, and. You know, there's been really high voter turnout in the city of Minneapolis this election. Yep. And I think uh, that has a lot to do with having several candidates that have been out working hard to, uh, you know, share their vision and talk to the people about in the city of Minneapolis about what's critical for the future of our city. So, um, you know, it, it's clear that there are five candidates that had built a significant base out of the 16 candidates. Um, and I think that's part of why we're seeing larger turnout, as well as we've had some very competitive city council races. As well. Sure did. Sure did. Raymond Dean, candidate for mayor in Minneapolis, uh, doing well this evening from all accounts at the Secretary of State's website. Appreciate you taking a few minutes out of uh, an obviously busy evening to join us tonight. And uh, maybe we'll be talking to you next time as mayor. Okay. Well, good to chat with you. Thanks, right. man. And good luck. Have a good one. Thank you.
Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Jamar Nelson in with me tonight analyzing the municipal races, particularly in Minneapolis. We might get into some national stuff a little bit later as well. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, special election night coverage here with uh, in-studio co-host Jamar Nelson. My name is Walter Hudson. Closing argument, the name of the program, typically here at 9 to 11 weeknights. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app, two ways to stream us. We, uh, we are starting to understand, at least I feel as though I'm starting to understand this ranked choice voting thing and how it works a little bit better little this bit, time moves bit. on this hour. On the phone, we have Tom Hoke with us. Appreciate you joining us on this busy evening for you, sir. You are a candidate for mayor. And yeah. uh, looking at these election results on the Secretary of State's website, uh, first, second, third, like I say, as the night progresses, I feel as though I've gotten a little bit better at interpreting them, and it seems you're doing pretty well. Looks like you're doing well, Tom. Yeah, I am. I, You know, we're optimistic, you know. It's, um, you know, we, we it won't get resolved tonight, so we'll no. just get, you know, a snapshot of where people are with their first place votes, and then ranked choice voting will start uh, beginning tomorrow. Tom, uh, you've uh, done a lot of campaigns, especially rigorous campaigns, especially the last couple of weeks and months. Uh, I'm actually saying kind of questions I asked Ray. Uh, number one, did you guys do any polling, and how did you poll, especially today? No, I didn't do polling. No polling. So, Was that a reason you didn't no. do any polling? Uh, basically, I, I just, you know, I wasn't, I don't think polling is always that reliable, and it's expensive. Yeah. And, you know, I just, didn't think that that was the best use of resources. What did you do, but, Tom, to differentiate yourself from the rest of the candidates? Do you think that you, uh, why did the people of Minneapolis, why are you doing so well? What did you uh, sell to Minneapolis people? You know, I think that uh, what I talked a lot about was uh, both, you know, going, my experience, and I have a lot of it, and how I would use that to advance the interests of the city. So when I talk about affordable housing, I'm the only candidate in the race who's actually operated an affordable housing program. You know, I understand the nuts and bolts of it. Right. You know, when we talk about economic vitality and jobs, I'm the only one who's actually created jobs in a big way. When we talk about arts and economic development, I'm the one who has actually done that. So I relied a lot on what I've actually accomplished, you know, for our city to date and it's a springboard for what I could do in the future. You speak about your experience in the paragraph in the Star Tribune that described it as a 62-year-old Minneapolis native, has been a teacher, a lawyer, a city employee, a CEO, has served on many boards and volunteered for more organizations than he can list. That's certainly an expansive amount of experience. And yeah. you know, you could you could cite that as a positive, and I think you rightly should. At the same time, there seems to be this this effort to portray experience as somehow a negative. I know there was some controversy. There was a piece in the city pages um, regarding political contributions, trying to cast you as somehow <laughs> the Republican <laughs> conservative in the race. Yeah. What does that spectrum actually look like? What does it mean to be a progressive in Minneapolis? Well, you know, I mean, uh, I, I, I love to ask that question because one of the points that I was trying to make was let's put the progress back in progressive. 
to me, progress in be, being a progressive means actually doing something. That's right. You know, in Minneapolis, I feel like we've fallen under the spell of talking about it. Mm. We love to talk about the problem as if that's a that's a substitute for moving forward. We talk about disparities, and we talk about it, and we talk about it, and we talk about it, but we don't ever actually seem to be doing anything about it. We talk about culture change, but we really don't cause it to happen. And, you know, so my, you know, I, I, I become frustrated with that because, you know, it, it doesn't, it, 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 there's, there's no advancing, you know, the, the, the effort. It's just talking about it and thinking about new ways of talking about the same problem rather than actually attacking the problem and making a difference. And that's what I'm about. And people who know me know that I'm action oriented and that I, have a sense of urgency about what I do, and I would bring that to the role of mayor of Minneapolis. I'm curious, as a, uh, I'm assuming former CEO, how does your background in business in, inform how you approach making Minneapolis a business-friendly environment? Because certainly the case can be made, and certainly has been made over this year, on, <laughs> on more than one occasion, that the, the things like trying to push towards a $15 an hour minimum wage and, and uh, sick leave and uh, all these things that have been pursued in the guise of progress uh, can be a detriment to the expansion of business. How, how do yeah. you balance those two things? Well, well, I would say, you know, it you know, it is always far easier to regulate a job you've never created than to create the job in the first place. Word. Okay. I mean, that's that's just the truth. Mm-hmm. It is a source of frustration. So we, again, you know, progress, the progressive, would have us actively setting the stage for good-paying jobs for everyone in our community. And rather than the way that we seem to approach things now is, is about taking the pie and cutting into smaller and smaller slices, you know, sort of dividing up the community by the as we do that, rather than really doing the hard work of, of just baking a bigger pie that is more beneficial, that has more shared prosperity in it for everyone. I'm not doing and you any favors by saying this, but that sounds remarkably like a case that <laughs> On this show every night, so yeah. Well, I just you know it's it's. I mean, I just you know I you know I founded Hennepin Theater Trust, which is a nonprofit, and you know grew it into you know a successful nonprofit business mm-hmm. in downtown Minneapolis, and you know so I know I know what what I'm talking about when I do that. I was asked to serve as the chair of the Minneapolis Downtown Council, you know because. They understood that I knew, understood how to balance, you know, the economy with the, the human element, the compassion that we need to operate our city. And, you know, that's what I would bring to being there. It's not, you know, it's not one or the other. It's and. It's both. And that's the tricky part is to figure out how to get everybody to the table and move things forward together. You convene people. You move them forward. That's what I've always done, and that's what I would do as mayor. Speaking of the Hennepin Theater Trust, uh, one of the things that that, uh, you've spoken about is a vision for turning Minneapolis into, as you recorded, is calling it the North Coast of Arts and Culture. Yeah. What does that look like? What what and how how much road is there between where we're at now and and that vision? And does that mean I got to wear a leotard or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and slippers. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, 
I love, you know, well, first of all, let me just say that, that when we think about arts and culture, you know, one of the reasons to be really focused on that is because culture attracts capital. Interesting. And so if you want vibrancy in your city, if you want economic vibrancy, the arts are a great way to set the stage for that to happen. Because as we're, as we're also looking to grow businesses, and I've talked specifically about food, I've talked about health and wellness, you know, as areas where we can grow businesses, the setting for that might, must be a vibrant cultural one. And that's how that contributes to economic activity. Because you can attract people, you can, you can develop people to work in an industry, but, uh, but a big chunk of it is what is their life going to be like outside of work? And that is really where arts and culture plays a big role. And by the way, when I talk about arts and culture, I should also say that I'm thinking about the creative industries of advertising as well. I got you, Tom. we got to let you go. Tom okay. Hoke, candidate for mayor. We are covering Good the luck, Tom, Minneapolis the elections tonight. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. More to come after the break. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Live and local election night coverage here on Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Closing argument usually playing in this space with me, Walter Hudson, have special co-host Jamar Nelson in studio with us tonight to help out with the analysis. You know, you got to have, because look, I'm a, yeah, depending on which label you want to use in a particular day of the week, conservative, libertarian, Republican, right-wing guy. So I'm not particularly attuned <laughs> to the the culture and politics of uh, downtown Minneapolis and the, the surrounding uh, metro area. But uh, it's it's obviously it's important because it does affect us. Even if we don't live there, you know we're we're all influenced by what takes place in Minneapolis and St. Paul. And it's also interesting, just from kind of a, a human perspective, to realize that you know as much as in these political contests that we get into, we kind of dehumanize on one level or try to create caricatures of our political opposition because it's easier to it's easier to hate them and it's easier it's easier to argue against them when we create those caricatures the reality of it is they're human beings right they're human beings who have sincerely held convictions as misguided as they may be uh, and they have disagreements amongst each other and that's playing out in these contests in Minneapolis for mayor and city council, where in spite of the fact that from the outside looking in, we may look at Minneapolis and say, well, you know, that's, 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 it's a place that's for things like $15 minimum wage and uh, mandatory sick leave or whatever the case may be, you know, fill in the blank, uh, what I consider to be loony progressive policy. Uh, there is disagreement regarding whether or not those things are good ideas, the extent to which they ought to be implemented, the terms on which they ought to be implemented, and all that is playing out in terms of various races. And it's interesting to see that dynamic. If for no other reason, then, it's kind of a a, a funhouse mirror right. that you can look into because you know our side has those, those issues as well in terms of internal disagreements and ideological camps and and you know heroes and villains on our own side and what have you you know and you and nationally we're going to turn here to to national stuff the, this whole dnc thing with donna brazil oh my. 
and the <laughs> the civil war that's taking place within the Democratic Party on the national level. Obviously, there's division there. Obviously, there's there's factions and and controversy and what have you. I'm really interested because I haven't heard you talk about it as of yet, and this is totally off the cuff and unplanned, Jamar. What's your take? Who are you, Team Brazil or Team whoever the other people are? Establishment, I guess. Well, first, let me say full disclosure: the the organization, the nonprofit that I work for, um, I'm proudly. Uh, Proud of the fact that we got fifteen dollar an hour change or, uh, started here by twenty twenty and got a uh, minimum um, mandated paid sick time. I think that the people of Minneapolis uh, needed that. Hard workers needed that. Uh, I think what Donna, the, what she did was uh, to me a bit disgusting. Um, I understand she was pushing a book, and I understand she wanted to get her voice out, but I think that there's an appropriate time to do so. Now it's not. Now we're fighting a large giant and Trump and his supporters. And um, you can't just look at the numbers, the fact that 56 or 56 percent of Americans disapprove of them. I think only 30 percent of America, 36 percent of Americans approve of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to come up with the book and to proclaim that. It was nefarious what Hillary Clinton did when what she did to me was admirable because the fact that she saved our party out of national debt. We were we were totally bankrupt and she saved the party. Let's remember the Bernie Sanders. Uh, uh, did she? I mean, I mean, I know what your answer this is going to be, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Did she save it by buying it? No, she absolutely did not. Listen, we were a party that were bankrupt. They couldn't even put money behind the local candidates. There was no money that could be put behind any of the candidates. So a part of her, what she did was we had positions uh, unfilled with communications, important positions. What they came in, and I, I, and I can't stand the way that they've casted her. That Like she came in and said, no, we have these people that you want. No, she said these are important positions that should be filled, should have been filled, which Donna agreed with. She said, well, here are a couple of people that we're suggesting. The Sanders campaign, and there's an email that circulated that says the same. They had the same opportunities to do the same exact thing that the Clinton campaign did, except for they didn't raise the money. And because they didn't raise a, a large amount of money that Clinton did, they decided to forego that. So now they're saying, no, that did not, that's not what happened. Well, thank God that the Russians hacked the DNC because those emails nefariously come out. The fact that you, Bernie Sanders, were offered the same ideal and the same opportunity to help the party and to be in charge of the DNC, well, whatever they were calling it. So it, it strikes me that there's kind of two conflicting thoughts commingled in, in your analysis there. One is what you let off with, which is this is not the time. But then the rest of your analysis seems to be she's factually incorrect about what it is that she's alleging. Well, you know, if she's factually incorrect, then that strikes me as the primary concern. You know, if this if what she's saying is not true, then that's the end of the story. If, however, there is some truth to it, then the question of the right time, it strikes me as, you know, you, you want to talk about fighting fighting the giant. What about the people who participated in the democratic primary process in good faith well that's what i'm saying though walter that's what i'm saying we can't i don't want to hear the word rigged because they've been saying that since the um the the primary and i ask anybody that says that because it chaps my high when they say that tell me how hillary clinton or anybody else went out and changed those votes she can't control voters she may have a bit of influence over the um 
uh, what do you call it, the delegates, okay? Mm-hmm. She may. Uh, sure. That's, that, that's all possible. Sure. But she didn't change one vote. from. She didn't go out. It wasn't like she went out and then started slipping votes right. into the ballot box. Right. So to say that it's rigged is disgusting. It's, and it's it, not the right time because we. Were, I love watching the Republicans infighting. Uh-huh. So to create this now, this 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 behemoth of a... Because it is. Republicans now, as you can see, down to Trump, right. he's saying, wait a minute, no, no, no. Don't investigate me and my people that they're doing. Let's investigate. Investigate this. Which, what's there to investigate? Well, that, <laughs> I, I'm giving you some leeway here, but th- I think there is stuff to to. What's il- what was illegally done that everyone's proposing that she did? What was illegally done? Well, in terms of the primary, you can say unethical, but what was illegal? Well, I, I look as an activist. Let's put on the other hat, right? Like if it was Republicans. And these same accusations were being leveled with, this, with the same style of evidence. The, the, the distinction between unethical and illegal at that point, in my mind, becomes significantly less important because you're dealing with, with these parties are private organizations. They're private entities. And I'm less concerned with the, with the criminality than I am with having a, an institution that, pe- that people at the grassroots can participate in with good faith and the, and the, rational expectation that things are going to be adjudicated fairly they uh, were though what water the party came to her this was an, I'd be, i be i i would feel a lot different if they had approached the party with this idea it was the party's ideal perez's idea perez, uh, i'm sorry it was uh perez and uh, brazil and someone else at the time it was their ideal to go to her let's remember donna was asked to come back into it donna is ticked off because she didn't have any uh leeway any charge she was uh, in name only the dnc chair mm-hmm. but couldn't disperse any monies because of they were saying no you've got to go through the hillary clinton uh, camp first donald donald was pissed off about that however but, i mean isn't that i mean just think about that though you're talking about she was in charge of the dnc right in name only and she's being told that she has to go through a particular candidate's campaign in order to make internal party operational decisions during the primary, yeah, but you're spending you're spending money that I I you're spending my money. So yes, I want to know what candidates that you so are putting. She the did hand buy it then. She, she did buy no, the party. No, she didn't buy it. She gave. But no, okay. No, she, so that's, she, that's, no, that's no, not, you just how's said about, how's she buying? You it? just said she gave. She provided the money for the party's yes. operation. So they saved can, the party from bankruptcy, and as a transaction, she got to control how that money was spent. No, that's you saying it. No, I said no. No, no, no. What I said was. What's wrong with her being over the fact? First of all, unlike you guys, we don't want to have any candidate that, that, that thinks that she's a witch or that has totes a gun and thinks that gays are bad. We don't want those type of candidates. So I don't want you to put money behind those candidates. So she did absolutely the right thing to say, wait a minute, oh, who are we yeah. putting money behind right. locally? So if people have a problem with that, then you have a problem with politics because politics is a dirty, dirty thing. Internally, it's dirty. We only we don't see the sausage being made as as constituents, and sometimes we don't want to. But I don't see anything wrong with them with her saying, "Wait a minute, let's not put our money behind a bunch of kooks that can't win." We're already behind yeah, but the eight who ball. Gets, listen, she didn't the pick line. the candidate. She just line. said, "And look, I, I'm saying this. I this applies to me as well as a Republican, as somebody who to this day is." disagrees with the choice my party made in terms of its presidential nomination last year, right? Great there, 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 there comes a point past which the arbiters of who's a kook and who's not a kook 
are the voters. Like, you you don't get to decide. And there was a lot of controversy after it became clear that Trump was going to get the nomination on our side. There were these efforts that were plotted and to some degree executed to try to basically flip the game board and say, we don't care what the primary voters said, because in our judgment, he's a kook and therefore should not be the party's nominee. And I rightly, as much as I didn't like it, rightly, the argument was made that, no, look, the per the people who get to decide who the kooks are and who are not the kooks are the voters at the end of the day. There is no there is no overlord establishment that gets to decide who our candidates are going to be. And so what, what, what I hear you advocating for is that there ought to be this kind of filter, this kind of regulator upon the people to keep them from going in a kooky direction. Walter, there is. And so you got, let's not pretend to be naive. You know what a party chairperson does. He or she does help pick candidates. Let's not pretend to be brand new. If there's a certain kook, that's what a party chair does. They're supposed to be over the candidates that are ran. If the candidate is a kook, a racist, a bigot, or, or, or misogynist, the party chair well, should be there to cut him or her off at the feet. Then yes. why even have primaries? Why even have the, the election? If if at the end of the day, you're just going to have the people from on high make the decision as to who gets to be the candidate anyway, then why not just have that be the process? Ultimately, the people does. I mean, which is you, you guys are the prime example of kooks and the, the people deciding who not caring about who to run. OK, uh, think about this dude. What's his name? Blunt that's coming into Congress. OK, he's a prime example of why the party chairs should check the candidates at the door. He's the prime example of that. But I, I, I digress. However, Yes, I do believe that there should be uh, uh, there should there should be some checks and balances on who runs I, again because I don't. Uh, here we go again. Here, here, so in other words, so at the bottom line is because we're we're run up on the end of the segment here. The bottom line is you don't think that what the Clinton campaign did was wrong because you believe that's how the party ought to be run. No, I don't think it was wrong because she did nothing wrong. She. I said that she was uh, in charge of uh, the uh, candidates. There has been no evidence that they tried to cherry pick any candidates or anything. Donna is just upset because she thought that she couldn't control enough of the money. She said money that she raised. Uh -huh. She's claiming that someone in the Clinton campaign was saying, no, I want to see who you're spending the money on. So th that's what Donna is upset about. However, in the same breath, she says how much she loves Clinton and still supports her. Interesting. Well, when we come back, we're going to get into some of the, the national uh, results in the election this evening and perhaps talk to a couple more people involved in the, the races taking place in Minneapolis this evening. Closing arguments in the name of the program. My name is Walter Hudson. That's Jamar Nelson in with us to help analyze what we're seeing tonight. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. Ever since the election last year, Democrats have been desperate to try to carve some sort of victory out of the defeat they were handed by Donald Trump. Every special election, every special election that has come and gone, there's been bated breath and high expectations. It's been described as a referendum on the Trump presidency. And of course, when they failed again and again and again to secure any sort of victory that narrative has very quickly been swept under the rug and the the uh the stakes of that particular special election has been diminished almost immediately well tonight 
The narrative has turned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Closing mm-hmm. argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855, the number to join us this evening. Got Jamar Nelson in with us tonight to help us analyze your election results, both locally and nationally. So the headline over at Politico, Democrats euphoric after Tuesday night election romp. Jubilant Democrats struck a defiant tone after sweeping victories across the country on Tuesday night, led by Democrat Ralph Northam's surprise pummeling of Republican Ed Gillespie in Virginia's gubernatorial race. Surveying their first electoral sweep in half a decade after a soul-crushing 2016 campaign and a a desultory start to the Donald Trump era, Democrat leaders reset their expectations for the 2018 midterms. They're now expecting a fundraising and candidate recruitment surge powered by grassroots fury at the Trump administration. <laughs> while, while most Democrats stopped short of predicting the party will take the House next year, they noted in Gillespie the failure of a candidate who tried balancing between Trump-style populism right. and establishment Republicanism. So, Jamar, the, the question that I have for you as our, as our resident uh, Democrat in the room at this moment, wh- how, why is this suddenly the bellwether of things to come in 2018, but all of those special elections that preceded it were meaningless in that same regard. Well, I don't know that it is. I think the Democrats are, are rightfully so uh, excited about winning these two elections. I mean, 34 of the national gov- the governors uh, were Republicans. Right. And so um, we did pretty bad. We lost a lot of those governorships during the uh, presidency of Barack Obama. Uh, so Democrats got to take a chill pill. Um, this doesn't mean uh, that we would do better going forward. But I think this does kind of set the tone for 2018. I think Minneapolis is sort of a beacon of how midterms may be. I think they're going to be large. I think the turnout for midterms are going to be huge. Yeah. Um, but here's the I other think that's thing. probably a fair bet. Here's the other thing about the five, uh, those other five uh, special elections. Democrats lost them, but Democrats came extremely close than the candidate that ran in those per- particular five red states hmm. that lost to the you know com- incumbents or to the challenger. So I think the Democrats were looking at that, that the fact that these five red states, we came a lot closer than we did in the general. So we got a lot to look forward to. But I, I think people have to quit saying that, oh, Democrats got to go find a message. No. Democrats have got to continue to speak truth to heart about the same because the issues don't change issues haven't changed so how do you change your message when the issues haven't changed what you've got to quit doing is stop pandering and seriously get out into communities not september october of an election year but year-round and continue to speak to the ills of americans you don't have to change we don't have to change our messaging because of the the uh because of the ills of the, the americans haven't changed jobs hasn't changed uh either they have one or they don't have one Policies of the previous person uh, either uh, caused them to lose it or gave them one. So Democrats, it's, we don't need to hone in a message. We need to get the right candidate and start speaking truth to those issues. I mean, I, I would question that a little bit uh, and more than a little bit, actually, because the, the message coming out of the Democratic Party has unquestionably changed over, certainly if you look back 15, 20 years. Sure, absolutely. It's changed immensely, and it's gone away from, and that's what 2016 was by all, all conventional analysis, is a 
a kind of a a rebuke of the direction that the Democrats have gone, where in the past you had kind of the Clinton-esque Bill Clinton, Clinton the first, yeah, the the Bill Clinton focus on that white working class voter, the 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 heartland, uh, the the middle of the road guy, you know, the Democratic Party DFL, right, Democratic Farmer Labor, the brand at one point was the little guy, not the little black guy or the little gay trans guy or whatever the case may be, but the little guy, which was a broad umbrella, rhetorically speaking, right. that, that anybody who wasn't a rich fat cat, you know, guy on the, the cover of a Monopoly box could potentially cast himself in that role role of, hey, they're for me, right? right. Like, I, I remember when I was in high school, first learning, or junior high, actually, first learning about politics and kind of coming of age politically, that's the way the Democratic Party was described to me by my teacher in a public school, by the way. Was, he or she was right. <laughs> the party of the little guy, the party of the, the everyman, which I immediately identified as, oh, well, that must mean me, right? Because that it was that that narrative you can plug yourself into you know even going back to not not very far at all to obama when he talked about you know yes we can and uh you know the the moving forward and this hope and change and this kind of vague language it left it open ended to where you could insert yourself into it something happened in the last 8 years 10 years where it suddenly became very exclusionary where it was like you can't be a, a, a well look what happened well, to well, look what happened to gary schiff in his race in Minneapolis, trying to go up against uh, Alondra Ocano, uh, it, it became about him being white. But here's the thing, though. Let, let, let me, let's backtrack. Number one, Democrats, we do have to quit chasing that phantom voter, that phantom white voter. Democrats nationally have been losing white male voters by the dozens ever since John Kerry. We haven't gained with white male voters. We've lost them. We get killed by them. So we've got to quit chasing them. Democrats, we do need to go out to the new younger voters, that that transsexual voter, that black voter, because guess what? Those are the those are the no the new voters. Those are voters that uh, the issues tend to maybe affect a lot more when it comes to the economy that counts uh, minorities out, policing, things of that nature. So if if Democrats quit chasing that phantom white voter, focus on minority. That's just because we're not going to win them, Walter. I don't understand what you're saying right now. You're making it I'm sound, saying you the truth. You're making it sound like white people don't actually exist, and there's some massive constituency of transgendered people. Have you seen... We're going to turn elections. Walter, have you seen how Democrats do with white male voters in the general elections? Have you seen that? Not, not as of late. Okay, here I am telling you again, we don't... It, no, okay. If I, it came I, I see to, what you're saying. I know. I see what you're saying. And what you're doing is you're getting the cause and the effect reversed. No, I'm you're telling saying, you the fact that that's why we keep that Democrats keep losing because we're we're courting white male voters. No, you're not. Yes, how, we are. How, Did you hear Hillary Clinton? Do you hear every candidate going, especially when they go out to rule Minnesota or rule USA? They want they're courting white male voters that they're not going to get Pennsylvania, Ohio. They're not. They're not black folks out there. They're courting white male voters that they're losing, and that's why. Why we're losing elections but you're, because you're not, we're, you're not analyzing why they've lost them because they used to have them. no let's keep they it real in the, in the era of bill clinton let's they had them in the era of, you know why you, you because Demi, first of all let's keep it real Demi, bill clinton was a extremely conservative 
Democrat. Oh. Yes, he right. was. He was. Okay. Mo- he was far uh, far right than he was left. Give me a break. Come on now. Go back and Google so his is, policies okay. and plenty of his but, speeches. Oh, I'll grant you that for the sake of argument, which proves my point, which is that by your own definition, what it means to be left, what it means to be Democrat, what it means to be progressive. You didn't ask me that. No, that that's what you're saying. No, it you're, say, you're saying that. In order that Bill Clinton was right wing, that's what you just said. Bill Clinton was twenty five years ago. Yes, Ronald, you, Ronald right. Reagan so, wouldn't even be accepted in your party right now, Walter. So don't go. Let's not talk about Bill Clinton. Let's let's talk about Barack Obama. Let's talk about how he did twice with the white male voters. Let's say let me say this. You know this. If there hadn't been enough minorities come out, we would have never had Barack Obama be president. You know why? Because he didn't have enough white male or white female voters, Walter. We, the Democrat Party has lost white males. And let's keep it real. Alex, uh, Alexander so, Pelosi. So the, so the plan is we've we got to go to break and we'll continue this on the no, other side. Please, but you know I'm getting hyped. I, I, the yes or no answer to this, and we'll flesh it out when we get on the other side. So the plan now is to move forward without white voters. Yes. You heard it here first. Yes. <laughs> Closing argument, Mike. We'll get to you when we return. 651-989-5855. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. See, this is why I like talking to Jamar. It's why I like talking to folks that I disagree with generally because, you know, first and foremost, sometimes they shatter your preconceptions. <laughs> regarding what it is that they actually believe but you know you you also learn you also get into you know the the nitty-gritty how the gears mesh in understanding how they think and where it is that they're coming from and that's what we're engaged in tonight as we bring you live and local coverage of election results both locally and nationally on closing argument my name is walter hudson Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com, and your iHeartRadio app. Two ways to stream us. Appreciate you tuning in. Jamar Nelson in with us tonight to help us break things down. 651-989-5855, the number to join us as we continue to debate the implications of tonight's national election results, which favor Democrats. Does it mean that a referendum has been placed against the Donald Trump agenda and Donald Trump as president of the United States? Are his days numbered? Are Democrats going to sweep in 2018? Uh, depending on who you ask, you're going to get very different answers. Let's ask Mike in Farmington. Thanks for holding and welcome to the program. Yes, good evening, and thanks for taking my call. No problem. Um, I was struck by something about a year ago, and I've watched it on a couple of occasions, and I found it fascinating, was the night of the election returns. And basically you had Chris uh, Chris Matthews, Rachel Maddow, Ryan Williams all sitting there. And Chris Matthews was being real forthright and... As to why they lost. Perspective as yeah. as to what happened, and he talked about he one of the phrases he used hollowed out parts of the country where all that's left is the diner, right? And the jobs have gone away, and he he was critical of Hillary Clinton the way the the campaign was was run, and at the time, you know, Hillary Clinton was the standard bearer for the Democratic party right and he talked about the message that donald trump had brought to the the country that hey i want to look out for you people the forgotten man and woman i think was one of the terms they used in the campaign yeah. that hadn't been represented um it was really fascinating and interesting and even on the show he's touched on that a couple of times also <clears throat> you've been discussing 
white men in the Democratic Party. And I think, you know, the Democrats, it seems like they've done a heck of a job to basically demonize white men. And a lot of white men just feel like, okay, well, that's a group, white Christian men, it's up for grabs. You can go after those guys. Mm-hmm. And I think they've been so attacked and demonized and marginalized by the Democratic Party that the message is, we don't want you, we don't need you, and so they go elsewhere with their vote. I mean, is that, Jamar, isn't that what you just literally said, we don't want you, we don't need you? I think white males have told the Democrats that they want them. I've never heard any Democrats, I've, all I've heard any Democrat candidate do is pander to the white male vote. Again, we have... What? <laughs> yeah. What? I... I, I would Listen, love to see an example of that. When you, when you go to Pennsylvania, Ohio, what do you, Walter, what do you think they're doing when they go to those, those mine countries? That, they're courting of, the white male voters, part bro. Of, Let's part be real. Of, part of why Clinton lost last year is because she didn't go to those places. No, that's wrong. She didn't go to Michigan and to... Right. to and she, who lives there? White male voters. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But, but again, no, she... First of all, you want to talk about that? Let's talk about that. I, I appreciate your call, oh, Mike, by the way. Sorry. Thanks, Mike. Um... Uh, Number one, it was easy for her or any candidate running against Donald Trump to lose track of why you're running. She quit. She quit, stopped telling Americans what what she could offer them, what she could do better for them than the than the Republican Party and Donald Trump. But because it, she it ran against a candidate, the, there was a thing, bigot. Jamar. So it was, it was it was it was a gift that kept giving. Let me let me let me throw something out here, and I I sincerely want to to get your because things get heated you clam up you get defensive and it's it's tough to to find a a point of commonality here and i legitimately think they're there i want to know the answer to this question okay so you say that she didn't offer basically a value proposition that she didn't go out to people and say this is what i'm going to do for you that's going to make your life better she stopped doing it does it occur to you that the prerequisite to to receive to even entertaining that value proposition is being acknowledged as somebody who might vote for her. You know what I'm saying? So in other words, if you're saying the Democratic Party it, it needs to get rid of or or stop going after the, quote, phantom white voter, yeah. then why should is any white person ever going to even consider your value proposition? Well, you've they said, don't. You've said at the outset that you don't want them, so they, why should they entertain you? Stop putting words into my mouth. I didn't say that. I told you what is the facts that you creep that you that you won't realize is that the white male voter doesn't vote Democratic. I did not want to say that we don't want them. We have to quit courting them. Yes, that listen to me good. We have to quit courting them. They don't come back to vote for Democrats. Stop chasing white male voters that never turn up to vote for you. Now let me ask again. Mike just made some points. Where's those jobs at? The diners that Chris Matthews was talking about. Donald Trump has yet to bring back any of those jobs. In fact, in those states that he won, the jobs that he decided he was going to bring back, they're even getting lesser. He's not bringing back those jobs. So, uh, so he's thinking about corporate America and rich Americans while they're talking about the lesser of the two evil. And let me say it again. It is, most of the time, a rich Fat cat that happens to be white, Walter. And the more that you keep denying it, you fall into the rim of what us Democrats say is that the, you're the reason why Democrats doesn't vote Republicans, because you guys don't acknowledge the truth, bro. That you guys refuse to accept. You hear you go say putting the words into mouth saying that we don't want white male voters. Dude, when I told you, all, all the, when I told I you am, the fact is they don't vote for us anymore. I'm reflecting back to you exactly what I've heard you saying. You didn't hear like, me say we don't want my white male voters. You heard me say they don't vote Democrat anymore. 
anymore. So you got to quit courting them. And uh, let me ask you a question. Is Why the, don't they vote? Is the, is the country getting more whiter or is it getting more browner, Walter? What so, is it? Okay, so Which, no, 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 no. Answer so that for me. Political strategy. Answer that for me. The demographic is shifting away from whiteness. Okay, okay. there it is. So, there it is. No, but let's 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 take that. Let's let's be completely clear about what it is that you're suggesting. You're suggesting that the the political future is in ignoring a diminishing white population. In other words. The, you're, you're looking toward the creation of a new minority, which can basically be suppressed by the new majority. You're flipping the script. Uh, white male, white males are never going to be oppressed. Really? Now stop that. Really? really? Yeah. When have they been? When have they been? What? When have they been it, in this country, Walter? They, Point they that best, out to me. They best get what year? to the idea because apparently that's the plan. What year was that? Right now, today. Right now, today. What year? You can hear, you can hear 2017. Okay, show okay? me the show me the show me the right oppressed white male. You could you you see rhetoric throughout the political discourse dismissing people who fall into certain categories: white, heterosexual, black, male, gay. Yes, you're right. Those are the, you guys are the epitome of dismissing those those people. You guys do that all the time. That's why they run to Democrats because you can't be black, you can't be gay, you can't be a female and be a Republican. There's a there's a total litmus test on being a Republican. You can't do it. You can't be pro uh, pro. Uh, 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 you can't be for women's right to choose. You can't be having. Uh, you you can't want you right can't, for gun. Let, let's not first of all. Let's not you conflate. Can't. Let's not conflate conflate ideological policy positions with demographics. Right? Like the, the well, excuse throwing, me, no, throwing throwing pro choice in there. That is an idea. That is a policy. That is what your party is about. You can't be a Republican if you're pro choice. You can't Walter. be a Democrat if you're pro life. But how about Joe Manchin? You better go ask Joe Manchin. Tit for tat. You better go ask Joe Manchin. Then we got plenty of Democrats. But, you, you got plenty but, of Democrats that are pro choice. The, First of all, you're just flat wrong. No, you can't you're, be a Republican. Be all these things. I'm black. Show I'm a me the show me the gay, gay black pro choice a man or woman, Walter. I can show you the gay. I can show you the 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 Democrat that's pro choice that the loves point, gun rights. You can't is, show me the black person the that does is, that you, in the Republican have, Party. They don't exist. The point is, is what you're telling me is that you're you're banking on a strategy, a political strategy that is intentionally exclusive based upon race moving into the future. And somehow that's that's progressing us away from our regressive past. I don't understand this. It looks to me just like a mirror version of the same evil you claim to be fighting against. I'll say this again because I, I, you're, you're very good with putting words into my mouth because you don't listen well. I'll say this again. Uh, Democrats, we, there's not a litmus test to be a Democrat. Number one, there's not a limit test to be a yes, Democrat. There no, there's th like 50 of them. Give them to me. Nebraska mayoral race, Heath Mello is pro-life, and Bernie Sanders supported them, and all the Democrats started coming out against Bernie Sanders and Heath Mello for being pro-life. And and, and Bernie Sanders lost his position because of that, Brad? No, but Heath Mello uh, he lost, he lost, lost his status as a Democrat. He lost his status. Again, see, you guys, are, you, you've thrown the foo-foo out. You're not even giving the anything issue, concrete that Democrats here. disregard those who think differently. That's Republicans that do that. That's, that's, that's what you guys do. Political party. That's bull. The hope, the hope, no, we don't do that. You are conflating ideas with identity. And you're saying. What is the difference, no, Walter? What's the difference? You guys don't know the difference. You explain to me the difference of how you can be. How can a black man that's gay and pro choice be a Republican? Where is he or she at, Walter? You're Again, you're conflating ideas. See, there you go. You identity. won't answer because you don't like to answer because, no, because what I'm telling the you is the truth. Absurd. It's, it's absurd, absurd because it's not happening. Walter, show me where a Republican that exists like that, Walter. Show me.
All right. When we come back, we will take your calm, cool, and collected calls at this 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. That's Jamar Nelson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, Twin Jamar Nelson in studio with us tonight, helping us break down election results locally and nationally. During the break, we're, we're trying to sort through our disagreements here and, and not, <laughs> not making any more progress than we were on the air. No, none. You're about to join in with us here on Closing Argument. My name is, again, Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130-1035 FM. Let's go to Anthony in St. Paul, who's been holding patiently. Thanks, and have at it, man. <laughs> Thank you uh, so much for taking my call. Um, yep. I've enjoyed uh, listening to you guys argue. It's actually kind of funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I listen to your show every so often tomorrow when I'm working my night job on Saturday. Thank so, you. Uh, props to you. Um, Thank you. I, w- I actually wanted to comment about these elections, and then I want to kind of comment on what you guys were talking about. Yeah. I don't think these elections that happen tonight have anything to do with 2018. You're talking about a state that was ran by one of the most corrupt, rabid liberals who, as far as I know, ended up. Uh, allowing felons to leave prison to vote. As far as I know, that's still implemented. Correct me if I'm wrong. That could have happened today. Uh, what? Lot, what? I don't get what you're saying. You were going to say something. Oh, I... um, yeah. During this last election, Terry McAuliffe let felons out to go. Oh. Is that all I'm saying? Okay. That's pretty much what happened in, in Virginia. Okay. As far as New Jersey, I mean, that, God. Jeez, man, he was such a bad governor. I, I can't blame them for voting Democrat. Uh, but 2018, bunch of red states with blue senators. I promise you, they're going to Trump. I'm, you're going to see. You're going to see at least ten. You're going to see at least ten seats go to Republicans. As far as what you guys are talking about right now, I love you both like brothers. I listen to you guys. Jamar, my my dude, there are people everywhere. Just because you don't know anybody doesn't mean they don't exist. Look up Milo Yiannopoulos. Hardcore conservative, gay, super fabulous, married to a black guy who is also gay, hardcore conservative, pro-choice. Well, and and we've seen examples come and go of people who, if they don't fit the mold, if they don't fit the the mainstream media narrative of what you're supposed to think or what you're supposed to say that matches up with your demographics, then you are immediately sidelined. You're you're obviously the star of the show here. I just want to leave my piece here because you guys are going to go off on it. Um, What I'm going to say is I've tried very hard to intelligently debate with liberals, and they just... They just don't get it. Like you, you have you'll have your points and your facts and your statistics, and it really doesn't matter. And it's it's an unwinnable war, and I wish it wasn't so. But I live in St. Paul here. I went to school with these people. I went to trade school with some of these people. I work jobs with these people. It's just it's honestly, it's you're you're better off you're better off saving your saving your time and going towards people that are more in the middle. All right, Anthony. Appreciate your thoughts as always. Let's, let's these people. No, let's let's. No, I'm just playing. Let's squeeze squeeze Raymond in here before we have to go. Welcome to the program. Hello, Walter. I first want to tell you, uh, first time caller, and I have been on fifty show points, and I do like you very much. Appreciate that. You're welcome. But the thing that gets me is listening. It's like, how can Jamal say that white people don't want to live? Oh my God, I live in St. Paul. On the east side, and the vast majority of the white males I see, they're how liberals. And it's just like, right. I mean, that is such a statement that's so 
wrong. I you're, mean, yeah, you're telling your own voters that you don't want them. I mean, and it's like really, and you know, the problem is maybe some of us that are the white people we're just getting sick of being brainwashed. You know, we're posted up and knocked down. We're like, well, you know what? We don't want people knocking us down. And like, you know what? I'm a Reagan conservative, and you know what? I have Democrat friends. I respect. But it's like, you know. The problem is, you get brainwashed so much and all that, and they're going to believe this garbage. Well, they don't know. No, we're not. I mean, mm-hmm. like, hello. Whatever happened to the thing where maybe if they got on the community, you know, more of the people like Herman Cain and oh. one of my dearest friends, I won't say his name, but he lives in Vanderbilt Heights. So- there should be a camera in here now so you can see my facial expression. I got the, the, the side eye look at you. Listen, I appreciate it. We, we, thanks, Raymond. And thanks for the call. Listen, let me say this real quickly. Again, I, I have not said that we don't want the white male voter. I just think that Democrats have to spend more time courting the newer millennial voter. Uh-huh. The voters are getting browner. browner yes. Right, yeah, so we should right. court you those. Throw that racial like, angle in there. They are the racial because it's the truth. My son will be. So what if my son will be eighteen? Like, is is and, that, and, is and that the, a strictly? Because here's here's what's missing from that is is that just a strictly political demographic analysis or is that a moral analysis? Like, it's, is there, is it's, there it's both though, bro. It's both of them. Listen, it's just the truth. You need. They're getting voters are getting browner. You need to court them. You, Republicans should do the same thing. That's their problem. So, no, but here's the thing. He just brought up Herman Cain. You rolled your eyes. You know why? You know because why? They, they always because, bring no, up. They always bring up a the, no, token no, 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 black dude. You just spent like a, a good ten minutes on this diatribe about how Republicans don't welcome black people and gay people and whatnot into their ranks. He lists off Milo Yiannopoulos as gay. The the other caller lists off Herman Cain as black. And you roll your eyes and act as though they're not really black, they're not really gay, because of which party they associate. Two things we're leaving. Milo, the Republicans don't even claim him, number one, so I'm not even going to take responsible for that, okay? And number two, Herman Cain, every single time Republicans bring up somebody, you actually bring up a, a black Republican, it's Herman Cain or, or what's the, the Supreme Court justice. Who these are you going to bring these, up? But these are black people that not even touch or even go into the communities. So bring me some real black people that have real grassroots in the communities, then we could talk. Non-real black person, Walter yes. Hudson, closing argument, Twin Cities News Talk Talk. Thanks for having me,